Welcome to this week's episode of the Top 5 Report, the only podcast you can listen to while frozen in carbonite. My name is Drew. I'll be your host for the evening. Along with me, as always, is my brother, Peter. Here. Hey, man. Um, <laughs> welcome to this week. We have a, uh, I don't want to say it's a ton of news. It's like, it's weird because like each news story I got is like big topics to discuss. And I found okay. one that's and I found one that's like really bizarre. So I kind of can't wait to talk. It's not bizarre. It's more of the uh, it, it it rose an eyebrow when I saw the first one, and then this guy started finding other examples, and I was like, oh my god, we have to talk about this on the show. So um, we'll get to, <laughs> we'll get, we'll get to the news shortly. Um, but, uh, since we have a chunk to talk about, let's jump right in. Um, I have one, actually, I have one piece of news before we do our watching stuff. Um, okay. and I'm going to put it at the top of the show just because it was kind of sad. Um, I don't know if you saw, but, uh, we lost a, another star Wars actor, uh, this week. Um, uh, actor David Prowse, who actually, uh, wore the suit of Darth Vader on screen. Um, he is the imposing presence that you know, embodied the character. Yes, James Earl Jones did the voice, but when it came to all the on-screen performance, it was all David Prowse. Um, he passed away. Um, 85, I think he was. Yes, 85. Um, just old age. Uh, I don't think it was COVID-related. That really wasn't a part of the story, so I don't think so. Um, but um, I had a pleasure to meet him back in the day. He was oh, that's awesome. A really nice guy. I got to shake hands with the Dark Lord himself. He signed a couple things for me, but... Uh, um, you know, some of these original actors are getting old and I just wanted to say, uh, may the force be with you. And, um, that's, and that's a character that has been cherished for so long. It's the, it's probably the most iconic film villain, um, of all time. So, yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> um, yeah, it's, it, it was really sad to see him go. It really surprised me, but, um, I mean, I'm just glad we were able to enjoy his, uh, amazing portrayal of Darth Vader. Um, and then outside of that, I never got the chance to meet him at a convention or anything, but, um, I did, I had like heard, uh, some podcast interviews with him and stuff. And I actually always appreciated, um, kind of the, the general vibe I got from the guy was he kind of had this sort of straightforward, like, no BS attitude in some of the some of the interviews I heard, and I definitely really appreciated that. So, um, yeah, just overall, just sad to see him go for sure. Sure. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, David, uh, may the force be with you. And it was a pleasure to meet you when I got a chance when I got the chance. Um, so, um, Peter, what are we yes. watching? What are we reading? Let's get this going. Yeah. So I had a couple things. Uh, the first thing I wanted to mention is. Uh, Christmas Chronicles 2 dropped on Netflix. Have you checked this out yet? Uh, no. Um, I'm going to – how about this? Let me go first in the watching category. 
um, because I know we're, I be, normally I make you go first, but let me okay. let me let me cut to the chase real quick. That's fine. Um, I watched The Mandalorian this week. Well, yeah, so did I. Multiple multiple times. So. <laughs> Okay, nice. <laughs> so that is all I watched because I kind of went into a Star Wars lore like obsession deep dive. And then when you throw work and stuff in the mix, you didn't have a lot of time for much else. So I wanted to watch something else, uh, which I will have a um, review for next week because it's something I'm actually excited to see. Um, but uh, yeah, so I just have The Mandalorian on my plate. Um, but we have some stuff to discuss in terms of that anyway. So save if you watch that, save that for the end of yours. But go ahead. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no problem. Um, No, I was just going to say Christmas Chronicles 2 just dropped and uh, we watched it the other night and uh, it's a sequel. (laughs) It's uh, it's one of those things where uh, it's a sequel. There's so I'll I'll say this. If you liked the first one, definitely check out this movie. Um, It's it's definitely a satisfactory sequel to the first one. Um, You can tell the budget definitely went up for this movie and the action scenes are really really good um like the ac- action scenes they just stepped up a notch i don't know if it's the as good as the first one just from a story aspect and i don't know if it even feels as christmasy <laughs> but either way i had a fun time with it uh the movie uh tells the story of bell snickle which is like a an elf who is part of the Nor- north pole and he was exiled from the north pole and he kind of becomes the villain for the whole thing um and the the, the actor who plays bell snickle is the same the kid from deadpool 2 who plays uh i can't remember his character name but he's the kid who can like shoot fire and stuff like that um he's the villain but uh no i was just going to say bell snickle the only I know Bell Snickle is an actual piece of Christmas folklore because uh, Dwight talks about Bell Snickle on The Office. And I think it's like kind of the German version of Krampus or something like that, which this okay. movie didn't really go too in depth about any of the folklore of it. So I was a little bit disappointed with that. Um, Did you see so Krampus? Just, oh, yeah. Yeah. The actual Krampus movie. Yeah, I saw that. That was a. Uh, that was definitely a good time. Why have you seen it? Uh, yeah, I have. Yeah. <laughs> nice. uh, I didn't know if you had anything specific to say about it. Well, no, you mentioned Krampus. So my thought was, had you seen it? Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> I, um, I actually like Krampus really surprised me and I ended up really, really enjoying it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Definitely. So like real, like way more than I thought I was going to. <laughs> so, um, um, oh, so the, the only other things I was going to say about Christmas Chronicles is uh you know how in the first movie there's a really weird musical sequence like halfway through? Uh, yeah, in the first one. And it's yep. a, yeah, okay. they, they, they have another one in this movie that's probably less weird, but it's still weird that there's like a musical sing along in the middle of this one. So I just thought that was funny because you seemed like uh, Drew, you seemed kind of like you were weirded out <laughs> from it the first it time just, it, around. It, it, Remember when I mentioned a couple weeks ago that there's always a part that sometimes there's a part in uh, a Disney movie that doesn't feel yep. like it should fit in the movie. That's the part in this. I'm like, what? Yeah. But I mean, they were making a Christmas movie and having some fun. So you can't really fault them for <laughs> wanting to do something weird and goofy. So. Yeah. Um, well, I'm just saying there is a scene like that to look forward to in this new uh, Christmas Chronicles movie. And uh, the other thing I wanted to mention is this movie has the weirdest ending I've ever seen. 
And it's one of those things where uh, I think they were going for this weird, like esoteric heartfelt ending, but it's like, there's this really weird bit of Christmas magic at the end, which is, it's one of the most weird (laughs) random endings to a movie all I've ever seen. And I don't want to spoil it. So I'll just leave it at that. So I'm hoping you (laughs) watch it as well. And you're just as weirded out as I was by the ending. And it's not like a bad ending. It's not like a, it has a bad vibe to it or anything. It's just very, it just, it's just very weird the way that the movie ends. Um, and then the other thing I watched besides Mandalorian is I actually did get a chance to finish, uh, Queen's Gambit uh, this past week, um, which I don't I don't think we've talked about the full series because I was only a few episodes in last week. But I absolutely loved this TV series like this was really good. Um, I was like super engaged the whole way through. I think the uh, main character like her story is really interesting. Um, I honestly thought the movie was going to glorify or I thought the show, I was kind of worried at the beginning that it was going to glorify, um, drug use and addiction, but it actually is quite the opposite when you get to the end. And, uh, the last thing I'll say, because I'm sure you have a couple of things to say on it too, but that very last shot of the show, like what it ends up leading to at the end was just such a genius ending. It was just such a real, it was such a good way to end that show because it had such a, uh, for lack of better terms, like a for love of the game sort of ending that I just really, really loved. So, yeah, I know. I know that that last bit at the end. And I thought it was, it was such a like, I don't want to say heartfelt, but it was just this moment of like, like she's literally on the top of the world, but ultimately she just loves the game. And there's that moment I want to it's like the second to last episode where uh, uh, Benny Watts is talking about how she's getting bored with the game. And like, you know, you're not happy unless you're beating the best and like, you're not you're not happy until you can win them all and all that stuff. And he's like, you're getting bored and you're getting bored because you can beat everyone. You're not it's not a challenge for you. And, you know, when you get to the end and she gets out of it, she tells the limo driver to pull over and she uh, just walks up to the old men in the park playing chess. And you're just like, God, that's cool. You know what I mean? And, uh, <laughs> Absolutely. It's just, this, it's just this really cool, like uh, warming moment. Um, but yeah, and that um, I don't it, they said limited series. So I have a I I worry that they'll try and give it a second season. Um, right. And it's so perfect. It does not need a second season. Just rem- let it be a uh, limited series, one season thing. Call it a day. Let it win all the Emmys because it's astounding. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, no, I, I absolutely agree. I think it should be one limited series because it is a very perfect, concise, uh, really well done story that they told with it. Um, I, did, I did see a post from Nerdist. Um, and the headline just said, what other board game should get a series like uh, the Queen's Gambit? And it it made me laugh for a second. And then it made me laugh even harder because no board game could have a series like that. Um, there is no game like chess in terms of competition, the way chess is with the Chess Federation, the way chess is considered an actual sport in this world. Um, the Like the way chess is handled as a game and has been handled for centuries. There's no other board game that could be handled that way. So, uh, no, we don't need another show like that. And don't think to yourselves, oh, you know what? That's how you handle a board game property. And then you suddenly have the Monopoly movie. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> 
So no, 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 no. Let Queen's Gambit have its moment in the sun and just know we had this amazing, perfect television show. Yeah, I mean, if they did tackle another game, I think it would be best if it's a game like poker or, uh, you know, different games that they actually do have national championships and could be built up the same way. You know, we're not watching the Monopoly World Championship, although that could be on some ESPN offshoot <laughs> channel, and I just don't know about it. <laughs> it's, it's, on, it's on ESPN, ESPN 8, the Ojo. So <laughs> exactly. Um, oh, I was going to say I have one tiny, tiny minor complaint about the show, and it's kind of nitpicky. But when they go to when they actually go to the uh, the tournament in Russia, when they're actually playing chess, the way that the setting is and stuff, I just feel like it's just way overly dramatic <laughs> like i feel like um, would they really be playing in a dark room under like harsh contrasting lights you know like that that was my one thing where i was like i bet it was it wouldn't be that dramatic but <laughs> maybe it is but then again the boards are highlighted and the audience is kept in the dark no different as if they're on stage performing that that's true i just the um, contrast between that scene and uh Every other tournament in the show, I found amusing myself. So, right. The the one thing that I found to be a little over dramatic, and it's this isn't nitpicky either, because if I was directing, I would have made the exact same choice. Um, and it's where she gets it's at the it's at the Russian tournament at the end. It's the final tournament at the end, and she gets called in first or introduces the first player, and she walks all the way along these final these giant rows of the, the row of tables and chairs, and she sits down at her board. And then the ultimate opponent that she has to beat to be the grandmaster to win the whole thing is sitting at the very opposite end. So ultimately, as they defeat their opponents, they're getting closer and closer and closer to each other. Ah, um, I, did, I, I didn't even notice that, actually. Uh, I know. I, as soon as he sat down, I was like, man, if I was directing this, I would have made the exact same choice. That's brilliant. And as they, <laughs> defe- as they defeated each other, it was just move to the next table, move to the next table, move to the next until they were sitting in the center. Um, it was just it, it was too perfect of a film moment. So it does kind of make sense in like a realistic way, though, because she's like the newcomer and he's the returning champion. So it doesn't make it does make sense that they would be on opposite ends like that. So right. it was just it was just a brilliant move. Like they could see each other from across the room like the I'm coming for you. But they had to lean back into their game. You know, like it's just yep. um, so cool. Um, is that all you watched or were you getting into the Mandalorian time? Yeah, yeah, just Mandalorian is the only other thing I've watched, which it sounds like you have a lot of uh, lore and stuff to talk about. So I could probably give a super concise review of this new episode if you want. uh, However you want to play it, dude. I just I did some (laughs) digging and um, it's made me raise some questions. And yeah, so. Well, okay, so I'll just say this episode. Din Djarin and uh, Baby Yoda, who no longer we no longer need to call him that, but uh, they end up meeting up with Ahsoka in this episode and they go yeah. to this planet that, uh, first of all, the episode up until the end has a really kind of monochromatic gray sort of uh, lighting to it, which was kind of cool with uh, sort of the idea of this like oppressive regime kind of like you know, overruling this little kingdom and uh, Ahsoka attacking them. And it just really fit with the uh, the tone of the show, just really fit with that. So I thought that was really cool. But also all the uh, battle scenes with Ahsoka, were, which were just, were just super badass because, first of all, we haven't seen, like, 
much lightsaber fights at all, like really at all in the show. So it was just kind of really fun to experience some Jedi stuff, but also like the way the fight scenes were, they were all sort of more these slow sort of, uh, in the dark, in the shadows, sort of stalking, stalking your enemies and killing them sort of fight scenes. And I actually really, really enjoyed that because that's like a really cool kind of fight scene that we don't really see in uh, Star Wars a lot. Um, and the other thing I wanted to mention about this episode is uh, because of this sort of fortress that the uh, the enemies were inhabit- inhabiting and stuff, it kind of had this really sort of medieval storm the castle sort of vibe to this episode. And I actually really liked these sort of uh, medieval fantasy sort of uh, really gritty vibe I got from this episode. Uh, the last thing I will say, and this is definitely spoilers, but uh, baby Yoda's name is Grogu and I am here for it. I, I like the name. I'm glad I don't have to call him baby Yoda. And uh, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's pretty uh-huh. much all I have to say about it. So, so, <laughs> Yes, on everything you said. Um, <laughs> agreed. Um, the the Baby Yoda name, I'm going to talk about that real quick. It's going to take a little bit of getting used to. Um, but yes, I agree. I like the name. Um, <laughs> my uh, my thing with uh, the Baby Yoda name is I found out and I was you know doing some digging and listening to some podcasts and stuff. There's a theory out there that Grogu is actually a rearranging of the letters of George Lucas to create that name. And it was potentially cause see, so yeah. So star Wars, like behind the scenes history, uh, George is, uh, known for when his kids were growing up when they were really little, he would write down the sounds they make. Um, no, that's really cool. Like he'd make lists and lists upon like, Oh, that's a funny word and write it down. And then that like, uh, his son, Jet Lucas, that's where he got the name Jar Jar from. Uh, so like, it's just, his kids would make weird noises and he'd write them down and then they'd become character names in star Wars later on. Um, so the real question was, is did Grogu become, was it a sound that his kids made and was on the list of stuff that Lucasfilm just had? And they were like, oh, that's interesting. Or is it from George's list of stuff? And George is the one that actually named Baby Yoda when they were on set. Yeah, um, because there's um, because Rosario Dawson, who plays Ahsoka, revealed that George was on set during the filming of her scenes as Ahsoka Tano. Um, so I makes me wonder if George named the child. It also makes me wonder how much of did George have any hand in directing the episode or any segments of the episode? Um, yeah, that has made my brain scratching a little bit. Um, with, uh, learning about the fact that, uh, he, st- she's Ahsoka states that Grogu was raised at the Jedi temple on Coruscant. Many masters trained him over the years. At the end of the Clone Wars, when the Empire rose to power, he was hidden. Someone took him from the temple, and his memory becomes dark at that point. Okay, so let's talk about this real quick. That means the child was in the temple during Order 66. Yeah, I definitely caught that, too. Someone got him out. Mm -hmm. Okay, someone and I don't know. And it makes me I haven't turned on episode three yet, but someone posted a picture of man. I totally missed baby Yoda in that Anakin lightsaber scene. And it's a scene right before he slaughters the younglings. And it's got a picture and baby Yoda's like peeking out from behind a chair. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And and, but it's such a well done photo. It's like 
did I always miss that? You know what I mean? <laughs> um, the, uh, so someone got him out. Who got him out? Who were the masters that he trained? Um, who trained him? Um, how old was he at the temple? Um, because could he talk before? And the reason he doesn't talk now is because of all the shock and the stuff that he's been through from order 66 to now. Um, there's a lot of questions there and I know we'll learn, but, um, the big, a big one is that people, there's a theory that when, uh, Dinjarin takes, uh, Grogu to that, uh, Tython, I think it's, I think the Tython. Yeah. The planet where he's supposed to put it on like the seeing rock or something like that. And he'll get joined with his Jedi master. Yeah. There's a big theory that, uh, Luke Skywalker will be the Jedi that trains him. And we'll, get, and we'll get to see Luke Skywalker, um, a younger Luke Skywalker before episode seven. Um, that's huge. If that were to happen, the theory that I saw online, and this is, we talk about f- fan theories on occasion and that kind of stuff. But the theory that made me really excited because of how simple it is and, um, how, uh, perfectly put together it was and this is a fan theory i'm going to say that again this is a fan theory (laughs) we love fan theories on this show by the way we do but this is so simple and whoever came up with this should be writing star wars at the beginning of this season we got teased that boba fett's still alive there's a the fan theory out there that mace windu survived because he only got his arms cut off but you never saw like what happened after he fell out the window is that mace windu is still out there somewhere what if when they get baby or Grogu to Tython, it's Mace Windu that comes out and greets the child. That's the Jedi he goes and sees. And then Boba Fett, because we know there's a tracker on the Razor Crest, has been tracking the Razor Crest the whole time and kills Mace Windu in revenge for his father's death from episode two. Ooh, that's yeah, that's really cool. That's, are you, uh, are you, I like that. Are you freaking kidding me? It ties <laughs> everything together and i was like insane (laughs) um so here's the thing that is a rumor and is a fan theory it's there's no solidness to it it's just such a cool speculation that um it's just too cool to like have something like that happen so yeah uh, i i was gonna say i really like the whole question of who got grogu out of the uh jedi temple but because i was kind of thinking like is there another jedi who's still alive that we don't know about and think of the possibilities but honestly (laughs) I can't think of anything as cool as that Mace Windu thing you just said. So. <laughs> right. right. Okay. Uh, final quibble of the show. Um, Rosario Dawson was absolutely fantastic as Ahsoka. Oh, wait, hold on. Let me come back to this real quick. Um, okay. We got we got to see that Beskar can deflect a lightsaber. Um, yeah, that was and crazy. That makes, <laughs> and, that makes, and that makes the, I, the, the fact of Beskar being such a valuable... Um, mineral um especially to the mandalorians who were trying to combat the jedi in their past okay um rosario dawson was absolutely phenomenal as ahsoka however i'm going to go back to what i said before when we found out about this casting i do not understand why it's not ashley Eckstein. The thing that threw me off the most is that it was Rosario Dawson's physical voice and not Ashley's voice. Mm-hmm. Rosario Dawson did not do anything in that show that Ashley Eckstein could not have done. It should have been Ashley. 
And um, I'm I, I, I just I stand by that. I do not understand. Um, Rosario Dawson's a great actress. She did a great job. I'm okay with it, but it's never going to sit right with me because it is not Ashley Eckstein, and Ashley Eckstein is Ahsoka, period. Ashley, I know you're listening. I got your back. You you should be on the show. <laughs> so um, that is that is all I'm going to say about that. It was just I I it kind of it almost like it, it, I was like, oh, yes, we see Ahsoka. And then when she started talking, I was like, it, this should be Ashley and not sorry about us. So, um, yeah. Well said. <laughs> um, Can't argue that at all. We're going to have tons of more Mandalorians, so we're just going to jump straight to the news if everyone's ready to go. Yep. Good? Yeah, let's do it. Oh. Um, okay, so first off, um, Universal's Super Nintendo World in Tokyo is about to be, like, released. Have you see, Did you hear about that? Do you remember this? Uh, I feel like I heard about this a like years ago, <laughs> to be honest. But I know. Tokyo, it sounds awesome. <laughs> Tokyo's building a Nintendo theme park, um, and they released images on the internet. Uh, for oh, the, I got to check this out. For what the internet, for what the park's going to look like. It looks phenomenal. Like, yeah. I was like, who's going to want to go to this thing? I want to go to this thing. It looks amazing. Um, they do, and like the thing that really caught my attention is there is a Mario Kart ride. Um, nice. The, pictures you can't see the track but you can see the cars like lined up like almost like a, and i can't tell if it's a roller coaster or what it's supposed to be or if it's supposed to be like a glorified go-kart track but it's the mario karts um <laughs> it's awesome i was like this is cool um so seriously if you want to see if you want to get a real good kick out of stuff literally go check it out it's i was really like wow that's cool um all right so remember when we talked about how there's a new uh scorpion king movie in the works uh scott that was actually the episode scott was on but i did okay. listen to that conversation yeah. okay. <laughs> so uh, a couple weeks ago when you were at it when you were not here uh we talked about how there's a scorpion king movie coming another yeah, one produced by the rock i think yeah because right? apparently we need one of those um there is in the same vein of that there is a new van helsing movie in the works oh nice <laughs> that's cool um i was uh I'm like a 50-50 on that 50-50 split on that other Van Helsing movie. It's like really good up to a point and then it's not good for the rest of the movie. So like it's it's an interesting <laughs> I have I have an interesting opinion on that movie, but this movie will be directed by uh Conjuring dir- series uh the director of the Conjuring series James Wan. Oh, yes, this um, is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> this that could is actually awesome. be, this could actually be really cool. Yeah. Uh, so, well, because I'll admit I like uh, like I like Van Helsing, but I like it more because of the setting and the characters in it and the potential the movie had. I admit it's not the greatest movie. I just think there's aspects of it that are fun to watch. But if you have James Wan, who did an awesome job in uh, when he directed Aquaman, as far as just <clears throat> world building and just imaginative, uh, awesome, like action set pieces. And then just thinking of his work he's done with conjuring, he's like the perfect director to do a new Van Helsing. And, uh, Besides that, just the fact that Universal is because I'm assuming Universal is still still has the movie rights to Van Helsing. So the fact that they're still doing at least attempts of uh, modern movies with, you know, their classic characters, I'm really on board with this. So that's really exciting news. Yeah, uh, I think so. Um, So, yeah, I just I thought that was really cool. Um, All right. 
Uh, did you hear about the weird uh, monolith that appeared in Utah? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, if you if you didn't hear about this, um, there's a movie called uh, 2001: A Space Odyssey. And at the beginning of the movie, is that this at the beginning of the movie? Yeah, it's basically one of those science fiction movies that set everything in motion. And eventually it was one of the inspirations for George Lucas to go, ooh, I can totally do this now kind of thing for the original yeah. Star Wars. Uh, but 2001 Space Odyssey has this thing at the beginning of the movie where it's this weird like metal object in the desert and this like monkey walks up to it and that kind of stuff. Um, it's this weird like m- like alien kind of moment like there's other beings out there. Um, a monolith very similar to that randomly showed up in Utah um, and it's like, and when you look at it, some people said it is human made because there's some human made rivets in it. That doesn't necessarily mean it's human made. Um, <laughs> but the, the thing that makes it even weirder is that it randomly disappeared just as randomly as it showed up. Um, yeah. so it just had raised the questions. Are we really alone? I guess. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so. I heard that there's another one of these that showed up in, I think it was somewhere in Europe or something like that. Um, And I honestly, once when I first, when I heard of the first one, I was ready to get on board with like, this is either some sort of alien thing or it's like, it's coming up from like an underground Illuminati bunker or something like that. Like I was all set to get uh, into the conspiracy stuff aspects of it. But somebody said online, which I think is probably the most plausible, uh, like reason why this monolith appeared is that some artist is putting these monoliths up or across the, you know, across the earth and is just having a really good time watching people's reactions <laughs> to these monolith art installations he's putting up. But with Possibly. that being said, it is 2020. So if shit's <clears throat> going to hit the fan with some weird alien monolith uh, event, I wouldn't be surprised <laughs> if it did this year. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. So let's talk some comic book stuff real quick. Uh, one of them is pretty straightforward. And the other one is the bizarre story that I've been watching unfold over the Internet that I think is like skirting under everybody's noses. Um, okay. so let's, let's talk about this real quick. All right. So we talked about uh, the Hawkeye show coming to Disney Plus at some point. Um, Haley Steinfeld will be playing. Um, will be. Uh, what's her name? I'm drawing a complete bank. Bishop. Uh, Kate Bishop. Kate, or... Kate Bishop. Yes. Kate okay. Bishop. Uh, Haley Steinfeld is playing Kate Bishop. There is a uh, set photos of them actually in action, um, like running down the stairs of like a subway. She's with Jeremy Renner. And uh, so it's it's kind of confirmed that, yes, it's a thing as opposed to like the rumor that it was before. Yeah. Um, but uh, Florence Pugh from uh, Black Widow, who plays Black Widow's sister, is going to be in the Hawkeye show. Okay, cool. Uh, Which is kind of cool because we don't know where Black Widow goes yet. Um, And there was a talk about how the Black Widow movie is kind of a uh, passing of the torch from Scarlett Johansson to Florence Pugh, and she becomes technically the new Black Widow or the replacement for the actor kind of thing as we move to this new generation of Marvel franchise. So... Okay, nice. I mean, that totally makes sense. Um, and yeah, that sounds sounds pretty good. I have a, I mean, Florence Pugh, I've seen in a couple different movies at this point, and I've thought she's done a really good job out of everything I've seen <laughs> her in. So, yeah. <laughs> okay, so there is a um, uh, Instagram feed that I follow uh, called DC Comics Vault. 
Um, I started following them just because they were posting some really cool like artwork uh, from DC Comics and some really cool like DC Comics facts on occasion. They'll be like, hey, in this episode of this and or this issue of this or it's been kind of a cool like Instagram feed to follow. So um, I'm going to say this again is DC Comics Vault. Uh, so they're getting kind of a plug here because they discovered something that had me just completely baffled. Okay. Yeah. So. Do you remember the movie, uh, the animated movie Superman, Batman, Public Enemies from 2009? Yeah. Yeah. It's um, it's based on the Jeff Loeb, Ed McGinnis run is what it I was going to say. But yeah, there's a segment in the movie where Batman is in the Batwing in outer space. It's damaged. Uh, there's an issue of like oxygen and whatnot. He's like on his last breath. And then he closes his eyes and there's a big bright light. And when he opens his eyes, it's Superman coming to save him. And he takes the Batwing and flies it down to Earth. And everyone's watching as it's coming into place. And Superman sets it down and Batman's okay. Mm -hmm. Does that sound familiar to you at all? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Not only is that familiar and most people would go, oh, wait, that's kind of like Tony Stark sitting in the... Milano and then Captain Marvel coming and saving him. So here's what's interesting. I never made that connection. Here's what's interesting is they ran the clips back to back on their Instagram page. It is shot for shot. Oh my gosh. It is shot for shot. Animated versus live action endgame 2009 to 2019. Um, That's messed up. Rip. And we've talked about how DC and Marvel borrow stuff each other all the time. But this is where it gets weird. So this is a situation where it's shot for shot. Uh, Superman, Batman, Public Enemies, 2009 animated film. And then it was redone in Avengers Endgame 2019. Shot for, it, like almost perfect. It's weird. Uh, that's why I wanted to bring up DC Comics Vault. Check out their Instagram page. It's crazy. OK, next one. Then they said more evidence of Marvel's creative theft. Can you name these movies? It's a shot from Endgame of Captain America standing across the decimated platform of the Avengers like complex facing off against Thanos. And you have the wreckage in the background. It's a shot. It's a recreation of the shot of Superman and Zod in the destruction of Metropolis from Man of Steel. Okay, Okay. right. I can picture that. He's got the pictures back to back. And I'm like, holy cow. Then he goes. Uh, wow, damn, Marvel even copied Batman Beyond. Batman Beyond uh, is a cartoon uh, from the uh, Batman animated series, the, the Bruce Timm era, from 1999 to 2001 is when it ran. There is a shot of Bruce and Terry McGinnis's mom having a cup of coffee looking over the back of a couch as Terry McGinnis walks in because he's going to be the new Batman the Marvel end of this was in Civil War in 2016 when Tony Stark and Aunt May look over the back of the couch as Peter Parker walks in the room because he's going to be Spider-Man slash the new Iron Man. That's crazy. Like direct copied screen grab. Um, then this guy posts, look at these. And it is – it's crazy. Um, they have a shot of uh, – let's see here. They have the shot of Cap, Iron Man, and Thor walking out to face uh, Thanos in Endgame, and it's a re- it's a full recreation of Batman, Superman, and Wonder Woman walking out to face Doomsday. Then okay. you have then you have Superman's. Um, this one's a little off because it's a picture of Superman getting ready to stab Doomsday with the Kryptonite spear, but the glint of the light looks like the spears on his hand. 
and they matched it with Tony Stark with the glove getting ready to snap, and it's like glowing because of the stones. It's almost a re- it's almost an exact shot. Wow. Uh, then they have the Lois Lane kissing the dead Superman, matched with the Pepper Potts kissing the dead Tony Stark. Um, they have the shot of Superman and Batman standing over the dead uh, Superman, matched with Thor and Cap standing over the dead Tony Stark. Then they have the shot of the Man of Steel monolith that says, you know, if you seek this, look around uh, where everyone was gathered uh, to pay homage to Superman for the sacrifice he did, matched with the same shot of Iron Man's um, chest plate. <laughs> um, wow. Then he goes and then he has a whole then he has a whole chunk of more. So then they have the shots from the Superman funeral of everyone holding the candles and like because Superman died. And then you have the end game funeral with Tony Stark where everyone's standing there uh, because he died. You have Bruce Wayne from Batman, man, uh, Batman and Superman standing off watching the funeral from afar compared to. Nick Fury watching the funeral from afar. And then you have Bruce and Diana talking after the funeral. And then you have uh, Scarlet Witch and uh, whoever. And I can't remember who she was talking to at that moment. But it's like I'm, I'm, I'm saying like it is shot for shot. Like crazy. <laughs> I'm like, holy cow. And it just says, hey, look, more evidence Marvel, Marvel steals from DC. But it's the point is the fact that all these DC movies came out first and then Endgame was like, look at all this. And it was like they copied it page for page. That I never wild. It. it is wild. And I've been kind of following it and completely obsessed, kind of looking at it like this is nuts. So um, seriously, DC Comics Vault on Instagram. Check it out. It's kind of uncanny when you see the pictures. I know it's like an audio podcast. So you can't really see what I'm talking about, but check it out. It is uncanny to see them back to back like that. And just yeah. like. The one that really blew my mind was the shot for shot from uh, public, public enemies. enemies. Yeah, yeah, that was crazy because it's like almost perfect. Um, yeah, so. that's um, that is really crazy. Um, I'm definitely going to check that out. I think um, I've said it before. I don't know if I've said it on the show, but if you look at the plot of um, uh, Thor, the Dark World, it is very, very similar to Man of Steel, which which came out a year or two beforehand. Um, when you think of it, it's like an alien force coming to Earth trying to uh, make our world like their own, and it's after uh, somebody activated something on Earth that kind of beckoned them there. It's like a very similar plot. With that being said, I do like Thor The Dark World, but it is really eerie when you start dig- digging into all these like weird similarities <laughs> I guess right. to go well, to be as fair as possible. <laughs> well, here's to be as fair. If you look into the comic book history between both pillared companies, you will see that they borrowed from each other back and forth completely. DC did yeah. this. Marvel thought it was a great idea. So they kind of copied Marvel did this. DC thought it was a great idea. They kind of copied. It went back and forth between both companies. The only thing about this specific instance that is weird is that all the DC properties that are listed came first with yep. all normal copies after. Um, that's the weird part. And I'm just like, whoa. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah. And I don't know how he spotted them, but he probably spotted the Batman, Superman, uh, Public Enemies one first and went, wait a minute, that's interesting. And then went from there. Um, yeah, that's crazy. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. What, 
Yeah, I was just going to say, like, just so it doesn't seem like we're hating on Marvel too much, I can't say that there's a scene in uh, Man of Steel that's exactly the same of a, as a scene in Transformers, <laughs> the first one. <laughs> and it's when Zod, uh, takes, when Zod and his crew takes over all of the uh, computers and TVs and stuff on Earth and uh, puts out their message, like, give us Superman or we're going to destroy you sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, uh, Megatron does the exact same thing in uh, the first Transformers movie. So, you know, you can only do so many original things. But, yeah, it does seem like there's some really crazy coincidences, if nothing else. Um, and I definitely want to check this out. <laughs> yeah. So please do. All right. Final news story of the night. And this is huge. And then we're going to go on the list because we're running a lot. We're running farther. <laughs> we talked yeah. about Mandalorian that I thought we were going to. Um, but uh, all right. So Wonder Woman. 84 is going to theaters and HBO Max on the same day. Um, they're landing on Christmas. Uh, so cr happy Christmas morning. I get to wake up, open presents, and watch Wonder Woman 84. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's going to be uh, amazing. Great. This is a huge thing for HBO because they're probably going to draw in a lot of uh, subscribers. This is a box office save for the movie, that kind of thing. Um, it's mm -hmm. awesome that they're doing this. Um, However, it makes me wonder what the box off the subscriber intake was post this news. Um, and the reason I say that is because HBO dropped Warner, Warner Brothers dropped a massive bomb of a story. And um, I'm seeing reports already and articles about is this going to kill movie theaters altogether? Um, yeah, as with the covid situation, theaters closing. Um, already seeing uh, streaming services pick up tons of these movies and putting them out. It's to a point where I don't know what's out anymore. And I'm actually like looking at streaming services to try and figure out what I need to watch next. Um, I'm really honestly focusing on Disney plus HBO max and Netflix more than anything, because like the other ones, they're not grabbing the like movie properties and stuff. Um, so, but, mm -hmm. but Warner Brothers announcement today is huge. Um, and yes, this could very well kill movie theaters if this is the slate. This could be very well be the slate going forward. The The news story is all Warner Brothers 2021 movies, the entire slate of 2021 movies from Warner Brothers will premiere on HBO Max and in theaters on the same day of release. So that means... Everything. So when the Suicide Squad releases in theaters, it will release on HBO Max the same day. Yeah. Um, so whatever they don't make in the box office, they're going to make in subscriber totals at home. There's going to be plenty of people that are going to go, I don't have to leave my house to watch this. Absolutely. You know what I mean, like, that's what's going to happen. So let me like I'm not going to read every title because there's some of these I don't know. Um but, for example, Matrix 4, Dune, The Suicide Squad, Godzilla vs. King Kong, The New Mortal Kombat, Tom and Jerry, this new Space Jam movie. Um, let me see here. Um, and then after that, they get into movies that I uh, – The New Conjuring. Um, yeah, I did see there's a lot of movies on the list that I really don't even know what they are. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know, but I just listed off some giant ones. Absolutely, absolutely. Films, and I basically just have to have HBO Max to watch them. Like, that is yeah. massive. Um, I was talking to a friend earlier, and when I brought up Space Jam, he goes, who's really going to watch the new Space Jam? And uh, my response was, well, I am now. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Um, 
it wouldn't have been a movie that I would have rushed to the theater to see, but I'll go see it now. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, um, that that really could kill theaters if more and more um, if more people, uh, if more streaming services, if this makes HBO kind of like it's going to put it as a huge pillar in terms of streaming services now. Um, and if like Disney and Netflix look at that, they might jump on that bandwagon, too, and try and get some of these releases as well which is going to make the theater box offices plummet. Um, Avengers Endgame will probably always be the greatest selling, um, the the number one box office champ from all time from here to the end of time now because of this. Because yeah. box office dollars you can't even really track anymore. So <laughs> That's uh, true. So it's just, it's, it's, it's a really weird time, but that is massive. Um, I realized that I watched Disney Plus, and I watch HBO Max and I watch Netflix on occasion when there's something I really need to see. So I really don't need any other streaming services. <laughs> I really yeah, don't fair enough. look at when I really look at what's there. So um, that's big. I can't wait to see some of those movies because um, I've always been the guy. I'm sorry. I'm kind of really like uh, talking over you and I apologize. Oh, it's all good. No, like, I'm kind of kind of fired up about <laughs> some of this. Um, I've always been the guy that rushes to see movies. Like I've always wanted, like I always have to see it right away. I always want to be part of that conversation. Like, did you see it? Yeah. Let's talk about it. Um, and it's been COVID has been weird because I'm not going to see movies and I feel like I'm behind in certain areas and people are like, did you watch the show? No, I haven't had a chance to watch that show. What's it on? Oh, it's on Netflix. Oh, it's on Hulu. You know, um, and keeping up with the Mandalorian is a no brainer, but I feel like, I just feel like I'm behind in a world where, um, like for example, I haven't seen Tenant yet. You know, I'm yeah, dying to see that movie. Um, but um, that's going to be out on Blu-ray here, like in a couple days. So um, I will get my chance to see it. But it's the issue that you know, I just feel like I'm behind, and it's weird. Um, so now we're at a point where, oh hey, that's going to drop this weekend. I'm totally watching it. You know, um, and I don't have to, and I can watch Suicide Squad multiple times if I want to and not go to the theater and spend a thousand dollars. So <laughs> <laughs> that's a good point as well. I'm uh, since you mentioned tenant, I'm wondering if it's the performance of that movie that led Warner brothers to this decision. Cause if they're just like, okay, well if people aren't ready to go to the movie theaters and we have all this stuff, we might as well release it on streaming services. And even if somebody only wants to see, uh, I don't know, Godzilla versus Kong or whatever. So they only get HBO max for one month, you know, that's still probably more money than they were going to get for the box office ticket. It's, I'm not exactly a, sure how that all works, but I don't, I don't know. How, so. I don't, I don't know how that wall works either, but it's numbers. And when it comes to stock prices and stock shareholders and stuff, it all comes down to the numbers. Yeah. Um, I do. I do think this is really exciting. I'm excited to watch a lot of these movies inside my own house, but it it does really suck because we don't know how this is going to affect movie theaters. But it's also one of those things where you can't put all the blame on Warner Brothers because it's just the world we live in. People like a lot of movie theaters have been open and people aren't going to them. And it, it really sucks. But it's yeah, it's, I don't really know what to say about that. I feel like that's a whole deep dive we could cover on a different <laughs> podcast or something like that. Not, not only that, but it's going to force the hand of Disney to because that basically means like these DC movies. So we're getting Wonder Woman 84, the Suicide Squad and the, the, the Snyder Cut all on HBO Max next year. 
Yeah. Or like Wonder Woman real quick. And then the following year, we're getting Suicide Squad and Snyder Cut. Pretty darn quick. It's going to force Disney's hand in terms of the Marvel properties because they're still holding out for theaters. Yeah. Um, that means we could be seeing the Batman on HBO Max. We could be seeing like there's big stuff that Warner Brothers talked about. There's big stuff that came out of the DC fandom that could be going straight to HBO Max. And it's going to force DC Marvel uh, Disney's hand because of the Marvel properties, um, because they're just they're basically banking on the fact that um, they're going to get everything's going to go back to normal. And once theaters open, I don't know how normal theaters are going to be. You know, so. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely agree. <laughs> All right. Well, are you ready to talk the list, man? Yeah, let's go for it. Sweet. Um, all right. Well, Ryan, uh, we're done talking about news and all that other nonsense. Uh, let's let's talk about the list, man. So do me a favor and roll the thing. And now for the top five. Okay, we're back. Peter, this is your list. Um, why don't you explain to the listeners what we're talking about tonight and why? And then I have something to add to this. So, <laughs> okay, ahead. yeah. So, um, yeah, so we've been doing a lot of movie lists lately. Um, I actually had a movie list that I was going to pick for this week, but I just wanted to change it up a bit. Um, so I thought it'd be fun to do our top five comic strips, um, specifically comics in strip form, like you would find in the newspaper. Um, there's some web comics that have this format. Um, it's a really fun uh storytelling slash joke telling format so i love to talk about it and uh yeah that's pretty much it i do ex expect us to match quite a bit uh maybe not i know i have some stuff that we probably won't but i expect I, to match on one for sure okay i'm expecting to match on like three <laughs> so we'll see how it goes I, though but uh what did you want to add well i wanted to add that so kids back in the day <laughs> There were these things called newspapers that were delivered to your house. Oh, yeah. You're, yeah. Good point. <laughs> and, and in the newspapers, there was a sports section and a finance section and a business section and like, a, I think, a fashion section, maybe. I don't know. And then your main headline. It was basically uh, the source of there's arts and entertainment, I think, was maybe where the fashion stuff went. I'm not really yep. sure. But <laughs> and there's uh, and there was a weather section and all that stuff. And um, there was a section called the funnies. <laughs> or, yeah. Or, or people referred to as the funniest, and it was a strip comic form. Um, basically, the idea was uh, let me give you an example. So, there was a Spider Man comic strip in the newspaper. A comic strip in the newspaper was usually about one to three panels of a comic. So, <laughs> so you would read your three panels of Spider Man, and you would have to wait a whole day for the paper to get to your house so you could read the next three panels of yeah. Spider Man. So you're li literally reading through a story like two seconds at a time. <laughs> I know. And you had like a whole like 24 hours to wait for the exciting yeah. conclusion to Spider-Man. Um, and you got to you got to realize some some days uh, Spider-Man wouldn't even be in the Spider-Man comic. It, you know, that those three panels would focus on what Mary, J Mary Jane or Aunt May is doing. or something. <laughs> So you don't even get the superhero you want to read that day. So no kidding. Um, that also being said is that some of them, so not only would you have a situation like that, but, um, and then you get to Sunday and Sunday would be the one, when the comics were in color and those usually were longer strips. Um, 
So you'd get like sometimes you'd get six panels, um, but they were in color and they were cool. And um, yeah, uh, <laughs> so um, that's how we read comics back in the day, <laughs> um, <laughs> at least comics in the strip form. Uh, perfect examples of those would be like Peanuts. Uh, if you're a Charlie Brown's fan, a lot of people followed Charlie Brown that way. You read three panels, you got a little laugh out of it. Charlie Brown, yay. And then you read Charlie Brown the next day. Um, that's kind of how the format was. Um, yeah, so I don't want to say anything more because, uh, like, a big one, so, like, uh, like adventure-wise, they had, like, the Phantom and, like, Dick Tracy. Those were comics um, back in the day. Apparently, there was a He-Man one, which I did not know about, and I was a He-Man kid. How did I miss out on the He-Man comic strip? Um, but, yeah, so that's then the rest that I wanted to mention I'll save because they're on my list. So um, <laughs> the, the only thing I could add to that is uh... – when you're a kid growing up before the internet, um, the funnies were the one part of the newspaper you'd actually want to read. So once your parents were done reading, like, uh, you know, they were done with the newspaper, that's like the one section you would want to jump to. And literally you didn't care about anything else in there, but you wanted to read your cartoons. So, uh, it was definitely a really fun time and good call because I didn't realize, yeah, probably, I guess there's probably a lot of younger listeners that might have no idea what, what I was talking about. So <laughs> thanks for that. Well, um, I, I was like, it's not that they're not going to know. It's like, oh, we're talking about comic strips. OK. Yeah. Know who actually reads a newspaper anymore? Yep. Yeah. Good point. And, and I'll tell you the majority. I'll bet you anything. Maybe two of our tens of listeners are actually reading newspaper on occasion. Um, um, yeah, I honestly don't know. I get it like because I know our parents listen to the show on occasion, so they probably still read the newspaper. But I don't know anyone else who actually reads a newspaper. Um, I can confirm they don't. Oh, <laughs> like, okay. I don't think they I mean, maybe local news. I know they don't get the uh, Chicago Tribune anymore, though. So, right. Um, yeah, it's just all right. So. <laughs> We can jump in the list. I have uh, two honorable mentions. I don't know about you. Uh, I have one honorable mention. Okay, then I can so go with. You can go can, first with one of them, and then that'll roll back and forth. So. Okay, cool. Um, so the first one I wanted to mention, and it's kind of funny because a lot of these, a lot of my picks are from reading the Chicago Tribune as a kid. So I don't know. Some of these, I don't know if they were like syndicated across the U.S. or if they're more local sort of comic strips. So uh, sure. the first one I wanted to mention, though, is uh, Foxtrot, um, which is a comic that this is one that was always in the Chicago Tribune um, as far as all the times I've seen it. And uh, it was one that I always jumped to right away. And I think it's because it's a comic that it focused on a family and it focused on the kids as much as the adults. So I feel like anybody who read it would kind of have, you know, their couple characters they could relate to. Um, but the other thing with this one is this is one of the few ones that would talk about star Wars. <laughs> Cause I remember being in junior high when the prequels started coming out and there was certain comic strips in the, in the newspaper that would mention star Wars uh, or would talk about, you know, episode one and stuff. And Foxtrot was definitely one. Uh, Doonesbury did it a little bit, uh, a couple others that I'll mention later, but uh, I always enjoyed Foxtrot. The one, complaint i would have about this one is i don't know if i'm that big of a fan of the artwork in it um just in retrospect like thinking about it i don't know if i really love the way the characters look but i definitely thought it was a good strip overall so um 
Yeah, Foxtrot had a lot of nerd, a lot of uh, nerd culture in it because uh, the one kid was all into that kind of stuff. Where yeah, I might exactly. not. And so like every now and then there'd be like this just gore, like they'd have their standard family hijinks. But then every now and then there'd be like this just amazing um, like nerd culture like uh, episode that week. Um, yep. And I want to say they did some Lord of the Rings stuff when those movies did, were coming back, like thinking back on it. They did some Lord of the Rings stuff. They did some Matrix stuff. I actually saved a bunch of them. Um, I was oh, nice. For a really long time, I actually went, you know, those uh, you'd go to like a Barnes and Noble or a Borders uh, back in the day and you'd get those like sketchbooks. They were like <laughs> in the, like in the bargain thing. They were just the hardcover sketchbooks you can pick up. <laughs> I think you can still buy those. Why are you <laughs> laughing? <laughs> Just because I, I'm pretty sure you can still get those at like Wait, and why are you and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> just because I don't know, just because you framed it as like something that isn't. I know what you're talking about. You it's know, kids, like... when you go to the store. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. You know, back before we had online shopping because a virus made us stay at home. <laughs> right. That's um, a good point, too. Um, at any rate. Uh, no, I picked up one of those sketchbooks. And I actually started saving comic strips and taping them inside a sketchbook. And in my brain, I thought to myself, this could be a really cool, like, coffee table book because there's no rhyme or reason. I'm literally not. It's not like I'm putting Foxtrot all with Foxtrot. It's literally just random comic strips as I think they're funny and cutting them out. Yeah. Um, I kept up with it for a really long time and then I just gone to the wayside. I still have the book. I don't know how thick it is, though, like how full it got. Um, but I thought that was kind of a cool idea at first. And then I was, you know, I just, yeah. Yeah, um, no, it's definitely a really So cool I saved idea. a lot of the Foxtrot stuff um, because you can buy, like you can just go to the store and buy a book of just Foxtrot. Um, yeah. So that's where I think my idea, like, kind of cut itself off. Um, but um, because you could buy a book of Garfield, you could buy a book of like, you know what I mean? The issue was the fact that this was going to be various strips that just made me laugh and it was just going to be um, random. Um, Absolutely. But, but yeah, no, Foxtrot's a great comic. Um, it's just, it's the nerd culture stuff that drew me to Foxtrot. So yeah, same here. Absolutely. Uh, what's your first honorable honorable? So my mention? first honorable mention is the reason it's an honorable mention is because I don't have a lot of experience reading it. I've read some of it, but I never okay. read while I was in the newspaper. Um, I only read it because I was able to get a collected volume of the entire run I found at a Borders. Um, it was like a $14 hardcover book, and it was the entire run of the strip, and that was Batman. Um, oh, cool. So this would have been Batman in that like 1966 era comic strip. Um, and it's all like, and it, if you look at the artwork, it's very predicated on the 1966 artwork and stuff. I've only read some of it, not the whole thing. Um, but it's, it's, it's a cool little treasure to have on the shelf. So that's awesome. Um, I've admittedly not read a lot of the sort of, uh, action based comic strips like that, just because, what we were talking about before is like when you're reading it day to day, you're literally reading a few seconds of the story and then you have to wait for the next day. But right. yeah, that and sounds that's really cool. And that's what I made this collected, check that out. That's what made this collected volume a little cooler because it was all of it. And I'm not waiting day to day. You're just reading panel to panel to panel to panel like you would a regular comic book. Yeah. Would you say it has that sort of tongue in cheek 
uh, 66 Batman tone or did they try to make it more serious? Uh, a little bit of both. Okay. Uh, it, okay still had the humor, it still had the humor in it, but it definitely was trying to be more serious. Yeah, it, pro- it probably had the humor, but then at the same time, whoever was drawing it was like, still, I'm going to make some of these action scenes just look badass. So <laughs> I can definitely understand where that comes in. Um, should I move into my next honorable mention? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so the next comic I wanted to bring it up um, is another one I read in the Tribune a lot as a kid, which was uh, Zitz. Do you remember this one? I do remember Zitz. So Zitz is... Um, I, I remember it, it but not, not as well as I could, I think. Okay, so Zitz was kind of just this comic strip about this teenage boy and his parents and kind of the... Um, I guess like generational clash there. And uh, there's just a lot of funny jokes about like misunderstandings that happen with like teenagers and their parents and stuff like that. And that's really, um, that's really what it was. Like there was every once in a while, there was like a really nerdy joke in there, or there was a, um, you know, some sort of like music or pop culture joke they would get at, which I enjoyed. But one of the I guess the biggest reason I liked this comic is I do think they really nailed that sort of parent to kid dynamic and also like the artwork. I've just I always really enjoyed in this comic because it's really it's kind of sketchy and it's really stylized. But I think they just the artist um, and I wish I would have looked up some of these uh, artists names, but I think the artist just really nailed sort of uh sort of like this really slacker teenage sort of aesthetic with how he drew these characters. So I always just really enjoyed that. Um, I don't have too much to say about this one otherwise, but yeah, just another one I always enjoyed. And I wish I had more to say about it because I don't, I just don't remember the strip that well. Right. So um, I'm going to take your word for it. (laughs) (laughs) Fair enough. (laughs) Um, Are you, uh, Am I good to go? My next yeah, we can do the list. Yeah. The first actual pick of the night for me is Foxtrot. Oh, um, nice. So I don't, <laughs> awesome. I don't, I don't have to say much about it cause we just <laughs> talked about it, but yeah, Foxtrot's a great strip just because of all the nerd culture stuff. So awesome. Yeah. So, all right, man. Uh, go ahead. <laughs> so, uh, we can go into my next one, which, which is also really nerdy. Um, in the description for this list, I did mention web comics, and the first one I did want to mention is a web comic, and that is one that I'm sure everybody is fin- familiar with. But I included Penny Arcade um, on my list, and this uh-huh. is one where, if you look about, at web, I forgot oh, about Penny Arcade. Shoot, but it does not change my list. So okay, fair uh. enough. Penny Arcade, I think, just as a Penny Arcade is much more than a webcomic at this point, which but that kind of goes with my point is I think it's like a really inspiring property, because in my opinion, Penny Arcade is kind of the highest you can go with a webcomic. I mean, I, I guess they can still like keep expanding, but they've had conventions and events and stuff that all sprang from this nerdy webcomic that uh, that they created. But I just I haven't read Penny Arcade in a while, but the times that I do kind of uh, check it out, I always enjoy it. And it's usually a lot of uh, jokes about either video games or RPGs or a lot of the trends in uh, the gaming world. But uh, yeah, I just I really like this one. I think it's inspiring. I think um, I mentioned when we did. 
I'm trying to remember. Oh, we did like a uh, channel stop, the channel stopper episode. And I mentioned the, uh, the reality series that Penny Arcade did, which was called, um, I'm trying to remember what it was called, but, but anyways, they did like a competition reality show about drawing comic strips. And I loved that as well. So I just, this yeah. is a comic strip I always enjoy, even though I don't read it all the time, but it's also like, I really enjoy the, uh, what their brand has done as a whole as well. So I definitely wanted to mention it. Uh, I don't know if you have any comments on Penny Arcade specifically, but um, it's definitely a great read because it was online. I fell off the wagon a little bit because it was the effort of going to the website on a daily basis. Yep. I think uh, <laughs> Absolutely. and it's, and it's not that it's no different than the effort of opening the newspaper, but there's something to be said about, you know, waking up in the morning. And that's the thing about the newspaper. You wake up in the morning and it's sitting there and you just kind of read the paper real quick while you're eating your breakfast and then you go on your day. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know we do that now with smartphones, but I find myself looking at Instagram now or Twitter or um, other stuff and you get caught on a rabbit hole of other nonsense. So like sometimes web comics kind of disappear into the ethos, if you will. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I I did want to mention, I couldn't remember the reality show they did. Um, It was called Strip Search was the the reality show that Penny Arcade did, which was like, we're going to find our next uh, comic strip artist for our website. And they did a whole reality competition show about that, which was super cool. Um, But yeah, we can move into your next one unless you have more to say on Penny Arcade. uh, I do not. Um. So my next one is um, Dork Tower. Nice. <laughs> um, I don't think I don't know if I've actually read much of Dork Tower, to be honest. Um, you should. It's fantastic. Um, so Dork Tower uh, comes from a website called DorkTower.com, and they primarily focus. And it's basically it starts the if you go to the website right now. Um, it pulls up. Um, it's the start of the you have the days issue, but then you also have like all this gaming news and uh, stuff because the guy who runs it, he's a big gamer. When I say gamer, I don't mean uh, Xbox, PlayStation. I mean, tabletop board gaming and card gaming and D&D and that kind of thing. Um, so the comic is based on these guys who are all into Dungeons and Dragons and playing games and science fiction and all that stuff. Um, This guy, he also did a lot of the artwork for the board game um, or the uh, cult board game Munchkin. Okay, Uh, okay. I thought you were going to say Munchkin for some reason. If you've played Munchkin or know of it, the artwork for that game is what it's it's the same artwork for this comic strip. Um, And it's a fantastic comic. It's all predicated on nerd culture and um, uh, pop culture references and movies and video games and all kinds of stuff. And they do some really, really cool things. I do have a couple. Tra- I do have a trade couple. I just have the one trade of like because uh, they put out a book. So like I actually picked up a book of it and it's really, really good. And there's some really funny stuff in there. But I like reading it. I don't read it every day, but it's one that I'm like, oh, I haven't checked out Dork Tower in a while and I'll go pull it up. So that's awesome. Yeah, that's uh, I definitely want to check this out. It's kind of one of those things that I think I knew you had a trade for it. And uh, I always thought it looked interesting, but I've just never actually read any of it but i bet i would enjoy it a lot if i did so i'll have to add that to the list yeah uh, Um, definitely check it out because it's great so 
Sweet. Um, I guess I could move into my next one, which is also another uh, surprise, <laughs> surprise, another nerdy pop culture based comic. Um, this is my only other web comic on the list, and it's this comic called uh, Subculture. Have you ever heard of this? Um, no. Okay, so this is probably a pretty obscure uh, pick. Uh, This is actually like a comic strip that I've seen being sold in like Artist Alley at like some of our local conventions and stuff. So I don't know the artist and author of this strip. I don't know where they come from, but this is a webcomic that I discovered years ago and it was just one. I don't know. It was like one night. It was like a rainy day sort of thing. And I found this webcomic and it's basically about guys who work at a comic shop and uh, just a bunch of like nerdy pop culture jokes. But it's it's like anything else where it starts out and it's all just nerdy jokes. And then as you keep reading, you get to know the characters more. And then even though the pop culture jokes, you know, are there throughout the whole series, there's a lot more. um sort of jokes and stories involved with like the interminglings of the characters relationships with each other and stuff like that. And it was one of those things where I randomly stumbled across this uh, webcomic online. And that night that I found it, I read through the entire thing and it was like a hundred some strips. Like it was a decent like while, but I just like enjoyed uh, just the characters dynamics, the pop culture stuff, like, and the stories they told, I just thought were really funny. And uh, I, I just ended up sticking with it and like reading the whole comic. And then I got to the last one where they said it was one of those things where it was like, this comic is going on indefinite hiatus. Um, and I don't know if they ever continued after that. Cause I remember when I did finish reading it, I think it did kind of get to somewhat of a stopping point. Um, before the episode, I actually did look up salt subculture cause I wanted to see if you could still read it, uh, for free online. And I actually wasn't able to find it, but I did see that it's on comiXology. So you can actually buy it as like issues or as trade paperbacks on the comiXology app right now, which is pretty cool as well. Um, I did look at a quick comicsology preview and it did look like they changed the layout of the pages. Like they made it more of a traditional comic book layout. But when I did read the web comic, it was in that sort of classic three panel uh, strip form. So yeah, that's uh if you ever get the chance, I definitely recommend subculture. I thought it was a really good time to read, but uh, since you haven't read this one, you probably don't have too much to say. <laughs> so you could I have, I have nothing bit. to say because I, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no, I haven't read this at all, so I don't actually know. But I did make a note to go see if I could find it and check it out. Oh, nice! Yeah, um, yeah, I thought I thought it was a it was a really fun read when I when I did read it back in the day. So nice. All right. Um, well, my next one for the evening is uh, a comic strip called Get Fuzzy. Do you remember this comic strip? Yes, we actually matched, and this was Sweet. the next one I was going to talk about as well. um so get fuzzy um is basically so i hate garfield Uh, i I read a lot of garfield when i was younger in the world of like oh this is cool and you buy a couple books and like it's funny but then you realize garfield's kind of dumb um and it's not (laughs) funny uh, and somehow they tricked you into reading it it's just 
I'm sorry, Garfield's just really mundane. So take this guy, Darby Conley, who uh, wrote Get Fuzzy. Um, I actually, while you were talking about subculture, I jumped over to the website real quick. Um, and he's still writing the comic, and it's all on the website, and you can just keep reading. Um, and uh, it's day-to-day. You can literally just click through day-to-day. Um, Is this uh, Get Fuzzy? Yeah. Um, oh, that's awesome. I didn't yeah, know it was I, still going. I just did, decided to do a quick Google search where you're talking about subculture and it's still going and it's literally like day to day. Here we go. That's awesome. So um, it makes me want to see if I can if they uh, have a Twitter for it so I can you know get it in my in my feed. You know? Yeah. <laughs> um, but get fuzzy. Ultimately, the best way I could describe it is this is kind of like the adult Garfield in a way. Um, it's yeah. not. It's not adult internal in terms of like vulgarity or language or violence, but it's adult in terms of like topic where like the cat who would be the Garfield character is very um, he's way more sarcastic and way like he's more of like an asshole than Garfield. Ever I was going to say mani- <laughs> maniacal at some points for sure. Right. Like it's <laughs> uh, it really made you laugh out loud all the time. And this was a comic strip that I was actually cutting out of the paper and like saving almost every um uh, strip from for a while uh it's a really really good comic strip i think everyone should go check this one out um i what i don't know if you have anything else you wanted to add to it so i was just gonna say i i never really thought too deeply about the garfield comparison but it's hilarious because it makes total sense but uh i'd say get fuzzy um like you said it's not necessarily adult subject matter but it definitely has more of a uh more of a pessimistic tone to it almost <laughs> like a lot of the uh a lot of the jokes are kind of a lot more dismal than anything you'd find in a Garfield comic. But uh, no, I, I love this uh, comic and it was just something there's something really funny because it is true that you have the uh, you have the guy who lives in the apartment or house or whatever. And then the cat who is named Bucky and the dog who is named Satchel, I want to say I might be remembering that wrong but uh they had kind of pretty similar care uh, personalities to especially the cat and dog as far as like the garfield od comparison except the cat was a lot more of an asshole hole, like you said and the dog was just really stupid but i just think like if you look at it as how like most cats and dogs actually act like the comic strip really sort of nailed that dynamic between like pet and pet owner. And I just always really enjoyed it. Um, I can also say like get fuzzy has a very cartoony uh, stylization to it, but it's also very detailed. Like the, uh, the main character, the guy, I can't remember the, the human character, like what his name was, but he, you can see all the, uh, sort of, uh, unshaven stubble on his face. And, uh, yeah, the cat and the dog, they just had so much detail that went into the shading and the, uh, yeah, just the details of the characters. So I always really liked the artwork. Uh, this is one of those comics where it's like the full package, like the the writing is really good, very funny, but the artwork is really good, too. So, yeah, yeah, definitely um, great pick. I, I wasn't going to, like, read, but, like, this is just one. This is one from November 26th. I was trying to find a short one because of, like, how funny this comic is. Um, <laughs> This is one from 20 uh, November 26th. Um, the cat is clearly in the closet, like like he did something wrong, and the owners kind of threw him in the closet to like let him cool off. And he opens the closet door and says, "Hey, Clink, how long am I, how long till I'm allowed to be out of here?" And he says, "Dude, you've only been in there 45 minutes." And the cat says, "Well, no one deserves to be punished longer than their nap." And <laughs> and the owner says, "Go call the ACLU." 
And the cat's response is, okay, tough pants, how about I go call their feline arm the ACLFU? <laughs> Um, that's great that's like just a perfect example it's awesome um so yeah um that's it's just get fuzzy it was just a great comic and it made me laugh every single time and uh and this is one oh sorry i was Uh, was say they they have they're letting me know available now i can get their day-to-day uh calendar which makes me kind of want to get one Yeah, I was I was going to say, too, it was kind of cool to see. Um, I started like after knowing about this comic for years, I did start to see collected editions and um, bookstores and stuff. And I was like, OK, that's awesome that this comics like this strip is living on and stuff. And uh, I just I the last thing I was going to say is this comic probably doesn't get as much love as it deserves. You know, I don't hear a lot of people talk about get fuzzy, but it's definitely really great. So. Yeah. Um, at any rate. Um, all right. So we talked about Get Fuzzy. Which, <laughs> what do you want to talk about next? Um, well, we, we matched. So it's back matched. to you. Yeah. It's <laughs> back to me. All right. So my next one is um, this one. I absolutely love. I didn't appreciate it when I was younger, but as I got older, I loved it more and more. Um, and I ended up picking up a couple books of it. And that's the uh, the far side. Oh, uh, nice. The far it's side. Big my short Carson. list for sure. Um, and the far side, this was a strange comic strip because ultimately it was one panel. Uh, yeah, sometimes two, usually not more than that. Um, and it was, it was almost done in that political cartoon sense where (laughs) it was was a thinker, if you will. Um, the joke was always (laughs) there to make you ponder and you're just like, Oh, that's really funny. And you just see the world through a different lens in a way. Uh, <laughs> that's a good way to put it because a lot of times the joke would be like one line like it'd be like one line of dialogue or almost like a caption and then just the the image it's paired with has like this really esoteric like new filter you view the world yeah that was like a perfect way of putting it uh but yeah, keep like, going okay so here's an example here's an example i'll talk about my favorite one in a second but here's an example um there's a there's two fish in the water under a bridge and there's another fish like and it says we're too late he jumped and it looks like the fish is committing suicide and jumping off the bridge but if you look closely at the picture the fish just jumped out of the water (laughs) (laughs) you see what i'm saying yeah (laughs) okay like that's it's just a one picture and it just says we're too late he jumped and it's clearly like a suicide joke, but it's not because the fish just jumped out of the water <laughs> um, and they just happened to be under a bridge. My favorite Farside com- cartoon ever had no text to it in terms of the comic strip because some of them didn't have text at all. Yeah. Um, some were just a picture and you just kind of had to go with it. Um, my favorite one of all time is the one where you have the kid. He's got his books in his hands and he is pushing on the door to the school and it says school for the gifted and yes when the, and when you look at the door it says pull and the kids like pushing on it <laughs> um, that's my all-time favorite and every single time i op- try and open a door the wrong way i always say out loud school for the gifted um <laughs> i do it every single anytime yeah. i'm like oops i you know school for the gifted my bad um, yeah 
That's those are the greatest just pieces of art in general is the stuff that sticks with you like after years like that. But uh, no, this is this is an awesome pick. Um, I was going to say and I could be wrong because I've read a lot less of the far side than I probably should have. But this might be the only pick that either of us has that doesn't have any reoccurring characters. Um, but no, like okay. I said, I could be wrong. There might have been reoccurring characters, but uh, there might yeah. have been. But for the most part, it was 100 percent random and you never knew what you were getting. And it was always just really bizarre stuff. So, um, yep. yeah, yeah. I always loved the title of this one too, the far side, because it just fits with the vibe of the comic so much. And it's almost like it's almost like a weird, sarcastic sort of Twilight Zone parallel they were going with with the uh, the title of it. So I think it's just a perfect uh, title for a comic strip. But uh, yeah, definitely a great pick. Should I go into my next one? Uh, yeah. Okay. So the next pick I wanted to go with is the Boondocks, uh, um, and you might be pick. saying. Yeah, you might be saying like Boondocks, is that the uh, Adult Swim show? But a lot of people don't realize this was actually a syndicated newspaper comic strip before it was the uh, The Adult Swim show. Yeah, 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 exactly. And this is one that um, I remember seeing this in the paper and it was very um, it was very jarring because it was drawn in. And I didn't even realize at the time, but it was drawn in such an anime influence style, which really contrasted with everything else <laughs> in the newspaper. But the the art style always did draw me in. And uh, another thing, like I mentioned about Foxtrot before, this is another one of the comics that talked about Star Wars a lot and talked about nerd culture a lot and stuff like that. And those jokes always drew me in. Um Drew, I remember, and I think you actually collected like this whole saga, but there's this really funny boondock sort of uh, reoccurring storyline where uh, one of the characters got a toy lightsaber, but he thought it was real. <laughs> oh, <laughs> and yeah, it just yeah, kind yeah. of like chronicled his like travels through the town and stuff when he like tried to attack people with his lightsaber that was not real, but he thought it was. and stuff. Yeah, so I I didn't. So I, to clarify, I didn't collect i didn't cut out and collect every issue of boondocks i specifically pulled that whole lightsaber arc because it like the first one you're just like ha that's hysterical but you knew it carried over so like the next day i'm like where's the where's the comics i gotta pull out boondocks you know so absolutely but i i always really loved that one and then um i also thought like it was right around the age when um, I think I was the right age to start reading Boondocks because there is a lot of sort of social commentary and stuff in there. And I think I was when it came out, like I was I was like in middle school, but I think it was I was the right age where I started to kind of get some of this social commentary stuff. You know, if it came out when I was younger, a lot of this stuff would, you know, would have flown over my head. But I always really appreciated the social commentary in there as well. And uh, as you can see, I mean, it became like a super successful, like awesome adult swim series. So it's just awesome to see like that happen. You know, this little newspaper comic strip ends up being this world famous adult swim series that everybody loves. Like, right. Just awesome. You know? Um, yeah. Boonda, it, it, like I said, it made my short list. Um, so, um, but yeah, I, this was, that was, it's such a really cool, uh, comic in general. Yeah, absolutely. Um, is that it you had for Boondocks? Yeah, pretty much. Okay. So my last pick of the night. Yeah. 
which makes <laughs> me think uh, that we uh, matched um, because my last pick of the night is uh, and the fact that we haven't talked about this yet makes me think that we match. So this would definitely be the next one we match on. And that is Calvin and Hobbes. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Okay. That's uh, that's what my last pick too was uh-huh. as well. So, yeah. OK, cool. So <laughs> and Cal- I think I think if we didn't mention this at all, people would be like pissed off. <laughs> That's that's a like very you would be ready to kill us if we didn't mention Calvin and Hobbs. On this episode. Calvin and Hobbs but in all seriousness, <laughs> if, if you notice our list, we try not to rank them. But if you really look at how we structure our list, we always talk about our favorite ones, the last. Um, so or the ones yeah. we have the most to say about the last. Um, Calvin and Hobbes is a book that I just absolutely fell in love with in terms of the newspaper strip, in terms of buying books, in terms of having multiple. Like, I have tons of Calvin and Hobbes books at the house, and I actually found a bunch in uh, um, some used book sales and stuff like that. And it's like, wow, how did how did this escape like um, someone's collections? You know what I mean? Um, (laughs) Yeah. um, This series um, is is a very beloved kind of a thing. Um, and, uh, this is essentially, if you don't know what Calvin and Hobbes is, you're, you're really missing out. And it's, it's basically this kid who has this, uh, toy, um, uh, like stuffed animal tiger, a stuffed stuffed animal tiger. The kid's name's Calvin, the stuffed animal tiger's Hobbes. And he basically, it's his adventures with the stuffed animal tiger. And it's all make-believe. It is all like. It's no different than, you know, we were kids like playing in the backyard. You know what I mean? Um, Absolutely. He uh, the the imagination of the artist showing you like, you know, there's the there's the strips where Calvin is a T-Rex and uh, he's like jumping around and all that stuff in the backyard, like walking around as a T-Rex. So you're reading this whole story about a T-Rex and then <laughs> you um you're reading all about this. Uh, um, you're reading about this T-Rex and then you find out it's just Calvin stomping around in the backyard or you'll have <laughs> him and Hobbs will be on a roller coaster. And it's really and you'll see like the final panel. You'll see them like on a sled about to go down the stairs in the house. You know, yeah. like it's always like these this really cool, like make believe like child in his own imagination. And then it becomes this like very real world thing. Um, there is, and I don't know if you know, Peter, but you can, uh, there is a Twitter feed specifically for Calvin and Hobbes and it's daily Calvin and Hobbes stuff. I want to say I follow it actually. I haven't seen any of them come up on my feed for a while, but I do think I follow that Twitter page. Okay. Um, But yeah, definitely a good, uh, plug to throw out there. Um, and I love it. There's a and I saved some of them that are really great. Um, and like, I've sent a couple to people cause like there's one where Calvin's like, I gotta go. I gotta, he's like in school and he's got his hand up. She's like, yes, Calvin. He's like, I gotta go. And she's like, okay, go. And he get, and he's like, thanks. And you see him leave and you see him like walk into the front door of his house. And his mom's like, what are you doing home? And he's like, I had to go. <laughs> <laughs> and That's where, awesome. And where you think he's got to go to the bathroom. It's the, he just had to leave school. <laughs> yeah. So, It's really funny. (laughs) But then you run into some really great, like, um, political stuff, too, um, where uh, let me see, because I save I save a couple of them when they catch my attention. Uh, Where's my Twitter? Um, No, there it is. I'll see if I can find a couple of them that I saved because they make me sometimes they're really like 
Um, sometimes they're really like fantastical, and sometimes they're uh, they they're, they're really like poignant and like yeah. Uh, I, I, I do like a lot of the um, there are a lot of moments where there's like exchanges between Calvin and his dad and um, his dad's just like kind of a total idiot who doesn't know anything. And it's kind of really funny to see that sort of disconnect where his dad thinks he knows what he's talking about, but he really doesn't. But then Calvin also thinks his dad knows what he's talking about. And, you know, the mom's just standing like to the side, shaking her head about whatever they're talking about or whatever. Right. Um, uh, what was I going to say? Yeah, there was I did see once and I, it's kind of stupid to bring it up because I can't remember exactly how it did. But I have seen a couple Calvin and Hobbes uh, comics that are actually just kind of like really genius um, kind of pieces of art. Like there's one I'm thinking of, but I can't remember how it, exactly it went. So I might have to look it up and bring it to a future episode. But uh, oh, they have the collected books that you can get. I have a chunk of them, but I made sure Bill Watterson is the guy who created Calvin Hobbes. And I ended up picking up the very last book um, that he did um, called It's a Magical World. And it's a really good read. I was I don't remember. I haven't read this in so long. Um, and the and it's crazy that I'm not going to read it because it's kind of it's kind of weird to read a comic. I know I just read the Get Fuzzy one, but it's kind of weird to read a, a comic <laughs> an audio. Podcast. Yeah. But the. Um, uh Actually, maybe I will read this because maybe I'll read this at the end because of the very last comic that he released. It's just it just kind of says what the comic is all about. And it just it's that it's that heartwarming, poignant thing where the, the comic will make you die laughing. And then the comic will have these like really great heartfelt moments. I'll save that for the end. I'll just um, okay. go put it there. But the one that I saved that always made me laugh and I was going to share it. Um, and I, it's one that I like to pull up every now and then. Uh, it, it's one that I'll, I'll pull up and send to someone if like this, it fits the bill kind of thing. Um, and it's basically just Calvin sitting at a desk in school and he's taking a test. And the caption reads, as you can see, I've memorized this u utterly useless fact long enough to pass a test question. I now intend to forget it forever. You've taught me nothing except how to cynically manipulate the system. Congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. No, that that's really awesome. And it is a really cool, like philosophical argument. Um, I actually while you were talking, I actually remembered the one I was trying to remember, too, which was uh, there's a comic strip that I've read. And I think it was actually off that Twitter page you were talking before about before. But uh, it was Calvin and Hobbes. And uh, the whole comic strip was just Calvin talking to Hobbes about how comic strips nowadays are just three panels of characters talking to each other and nothing happens. But in the experience of him describing this, it literally takes place inside of a comic strip where actually nothing happens. <laughs> and I remember reading it. I was just like, that's like genius. That's like a really genius sort of like commentary on the state of comic strips while also, you know, evoking that aspect of comic strips. Like I was like, that is really cool. Um, one other, like a couple other things I wanted to say, because you were talking about the levels of imagination with Calvin and Hobbes. And I think, as a kid, you read these comic strips and you can totally relate to Calvin's imagination. And you're like, this kid plays with his toys and with cardboard boxes and with all this other stuff in the same way I do. And I can relate to the way he uses his imagination. But the thing is, 
I would also read these comics and I would get ideas where I'm like, oh, I never thought of, you know, using a cardboard box in that way. But now I'm going to go do it and it's going to be <laughs> awesome. And I just I love that it has that level of like inspiration for like, you know, that sort of childhood playfulness that it could inspire. Um, and then the last thing I wanted to say was uh, this is another one. Like I mentioned it with Get Fuzzy and some other ones, but this is another one where the art and the sto- the well the story and the writing and the characters in this comic are so good but bill waterson's drawing style is just really really well well too like he just did such a good job of drawing these characters and bringing life to these uh these these characters that he made so i just think uh it's one it's it's the full package calvin and hobbs is like a great great writing great art all around so definitely one of the best comic strips i'm not that great at drawing but i've always calvin is one character that i always wish i could draw and i tried several times and i'm just not good at it yeah uh-huh. <laughs> uh, some of the a couple of the Calvin and Hobbes stuff that I loved and I always wish I could, I always wanted to do in real life was when he did like the snowman stuff. Yeah, like, there's the there's the strip where he's got the three snowmen and they have their hands up like with gaping mouths like, oh, my God, what happened? <laughs> and then he's got the other snowman behind dad's car and like the head is smashed. So like the car ran over the snowman's head. <laughs> Um, that one always made me laugh. And then there's another one uh, that I saved on my phone from the Twitter page where he says shows Hobbs the snowman. He's like, you see my uh, snowman and Hobbs says um, he's enjoying a he's enjoying a snowman. Um, sorry, he's enjoying a snow cone. Um, there's nothing he likes better. Um, oh, no, I'm sorry. Calvin says, see my snowman? He's enjoying a snow cone and see nothing else he likes better. And then Hobbs says, and the snowman laying down with the uh, ice cream scoop in his back. (laughs) (laughs) And Calvin just says, it's a sordid story. (laughs) (laughs) Like, that's just hilarious because that's how that kid was. Um, But no, Calvin and Hobbs, like the thing about Calvin and Hobbs that I think everyone needs to understand is when you look at your child. So if you're a parent and you have a kid and you look at them with that stuffed animal that they drag around the entire the house all day long, that's Calvin and Hobbs. And that's the brilliance of it, um, because it's the toys that we never put away. It's that adventure we took as a child that we carry with us throughout our lives. I still have my hops. I stuffed bear. I still have it. Um, my kid has his stuffed animal dog that he like goes to sleep with. I hope he always keeps that with him. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. that's that's the brilliance of Calvin and Hobbes. Um, and it makes me wonder if Bill Watterson saw his son playing. And I don't know enough about it. I don't know enough about the history. Um, but I like to think that Bill Watterson saw his son playing with a stuffed animal and running around the house. And he went, that's a story and ran with it. Um, and just let the kid go on the little adventures in his head that he thought the kid was having. So. Absolutely. Um, so since this is our last pick and this kind of brings us to the end of the episode, I'm going to, I'll save it for the end end before I do credits. How's that? Um, sure. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, Cause it's just too, it's just too cool to sum up Calvin and Hobbes to not, uh, talk about this. So, um, so next week will be Christmas. Um, and, uh, at least for us, it's Christmas because we record these just a little bit early so we can take our time and relax and do that kind of thing. So next week is Christmas for us. So for our Christmas episode this week, we are going to be discussing our top five favorite movies that take place on Christmas 
that might not necessarily be Christmas movies. So we're going to be arguing over <laughs> what's a Christmas movie and what is not a Christmas movie. Um, we thought that could be kind of fun uh, because we want, because we you know talked about our favorite Christmas movies. And I don't remember what we did last year. I'd have to go back and look to be completely honest. But um, was last year TV episodes or TV specials? It might have been. T- yeah, I think it was TV specials. But like, so I this think the, yeah. This is one that I wanted to do back when we started the show, but I was like, we got to do at least two Christmases before we get to this list. So these and a good examples so people understand um, Die Hard is probably the best example of a movie that takes place on Christmas. Technically isn't a Christmas movie, but in a weird way, you can argue it's a Christmas movie. Uh, <laughs> so I don't know, man. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure we'll be talking about this next week, but I I don't know. <laughs> yeah. And that's the thing. I think it's totally a Christmas movie. <laughs> right. So we'll be we'll be arguing it and all that stuff. And like this, it was funny because I was talking to someone about that. They're like, what is your Christmas list going to be? And I want to explain what our Christmas episode was going to be to a friend. Um, their response was like, what? And when I listed a couple of them out, they just looked at me like, that's a Christmas movie. I'm like, well, technically, no. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, um, if you look closely. Um, so, uh, yeah, so this that'll that'll be a fun, fun topic to discuss. Um, so, yeah. All right. So before I do the credits, let's talk about this last Calvin and Hobbes bit. So the very last Bill Watterson, Calvin and Hobbes comic that he created, you have. And like I said, this is an audio podcast. So just bear with me. Um, you have Calvin and Hobbes trudging through the snow and they're carrying a sled. And Calvin says, wow, it really snowed last night. Isn't it wonderful? And Hobbes says, everything is everything familiar has disappeared. The world looks brand new. And Calvin says, a new year, a fresh, clean start. And Hobbes says, it's like having a big white sheet of paper to draw on. Calvin says, Mm. a day full of possibilities. It's a magical world, Hobbes, old buddy. Let's go exploring. Um, and I don't think there's any way you could not read that and think about the horrible year we've had to endure with 2020 and can't wait for 2021 when we turn into Mad Max and the world ends for real. So, um, (laughs) (laughs) you almost had it. (laughs) I almost had it. Um, but no, in seriousness, that's ultimately Calvin Hobbes had their funny moments, but they had their tender moments too. And that's why for me, it sits in a high place in my heart. Um, so, um, anything else you want to say about Calvin Hobbes before we close this out tonight, Peter? Um, no, I, I mean, I've, I've actually read that strip you just talked about. I didn't know that was the last one, but I think it's yeah. a really beautiful way to, uh, to end a comic strip. So awesome. Perfect. Um, in that case, um, do us all a favor, everybody, and check out our website, top five report.com. And, uh, there you can find links to all of our social media, Twitter and Facebook, along with a link to our email, top five report at gmail.com. You can interact with us, um, by hitting us up on our email, hit us up on our social media. Either way works. We are on Google play, iHeartRadio, Stitcher and Apple podcasts. Um, on those locations, you can subscribe to us. And if you do, you will not miss a single episode as uh, well. You can also leave us a review. We love those five stars, but we understand criticism because it helps us get better and it makes the words we say feel important. Um, you can follow me personally on Twitter and Instagram at Drew3927. Uh, Peter, what about you? Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at Ninja Pierre, and that's where I will be letting you know that I don't care what your name is. I'm calling you Baby Yoda. <laughs> 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 all right. So as we all get as we all get used to Grogu, um, 
let's see where the Mandalorian takes us. Uh, for the Top 5 Report, I'm Drew. I'm Peter. And uh, see you next week. Thanks for listening, everybody.